my pastor said something one time and I decided to put it on my office wall. It says, Satan would prefer that I talk to men about God than I talk to God about men. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you, Lord, for every person here and for providentially bringing us together. Lord, I'm just so thankful for this moment, for us to be together. And I pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and every thought that comes into my mind would be acceptable and pleasing to you. And that, Lord, we would be built up, that we would be transformed, that we would be molded, that, Lord, you'd do something that is just not possible with people, but it's possible with you. And so, Lord, we're praying for your Holy Spirit to teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 25. And this precedes Luke 15, which we were in last week, which I really strongly just want to say, thank God for Luke 15. I mean, Luke 15 teaches us about the kingdom of God, and it teaches us what Jesus is trying to show us. And equally is what we're going to look at today. Might not be preached as often, and um, I'm not I'm going to be straight with you. This is, I come very humbly before you today. I've prayed about this for a couple of weeks. And I feel led by the Spirit for us to look at this passage, for us to grow and learn and lean in and to know what Jesus is saying. And I'm very confident of what God wants to do in our lives today. So let's lean into it a little bit, all right? Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them, and he said to them, so this is awesome. I mean, I'm sure the disciples are like, wow, man, we've gone viral. This is awesome. How many people are coming and following us? And not only are people being healed, but there's also this massive crowd who's coming to listen to what Jesus is saying. And we're seeing the fulfillment of scripture. We're seeing the fulfillment of what God wants to do among us. And they're so excited and there's such a buzz about it. And he is, and this is thrilling. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is kind of like what we hope for, isn't it? I mean, it's like this huge crowd comes to see Jesus. I mean, many, many people are coming This is exactly what we want. And Jesus then says to them a very unexpected thing. When all these people are around, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, and even 
his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow. Very bold words that Jesus says. Now, we have to know that when Jesus is speaking here, the hatred he is called for here is a lesser love. It's a lesser love. In Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 37, he, he, is, he says sort of the same thing. Um, if you love, don't love your mom or dad or more than me. And we know here that Jesus is not teaching to hate your mom and your dad. We know that because the whole counsel of God has too many scriptures, including in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. That's not the teaching here. The teaching here is a lesser love. Here it is. It's calling for such, listen, it's calling for such an attachment to God, to Jesus himself. It would seem like hatred by comparison. Love the Uh, Remember when Jesus was teaching about money, he says, you will love the one and hate the other. He wasn't teaching people to hate money. He was taught, listen, listen to me. Um, I, I really do, I think God in his sovereignty brought me my wife. And I'm so thankful for her. And God has called me specifically in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, that my command that doesn't come naturally for me is to love my wife. That's a command. But let me say what I think Jesus is trying to say. Sherry makes a lousy God. She also is biblically taught to love her husband. Just ask her this morning. I make a lousy God. Children make a lousy God. And so do the other relationships. I'll never forget many years ago, and I don't even remember the context of this, but I remember my wife was reading some scripture and she was walking with some other women. And I remember she reported to me how she shared in the small group on how she had let go of thinking of me too highly and that she was finally to the place where she did not not only want to not complain about me, but just not to depend on me too much because I let her down. And I thought to me, now hold it just a second. I wasn't there to defend myself. I wish I could have talked a little bit. But you know what? Believe this or not, I was kind of like, that was something freeing about that. I was like, I was so thankful that she felt a sense of like perspective and godly perspective of who God is and who I am. And there's something that Jesus is trying to call us to. 
And that is, he is saying that what we need to grab a hold of is compared to my spouse, Jesus is everything. Compared to Jesus, my children are a distant second. Compared to Jesus, my brothers and my sisters, are, he's everything. Compared to Jesus, my, my, even myself, I take a back seat to Jesus and his glory and his kingdom. And Jesus is teaching us. And if Jesus were here, physically, literally, and, and he, and so many times we, we would, even in our culture, Jesus, if Jesus were here physically, he would say, would you follow me? And, and he would ask us to follow him and literally like just say, hey, follow me today and just go out. And, and on your way out, pick up a cross as you go out today. And, and he's saying, are you willing to really follow me? Is your family, I hear people say this, you know, oh man, family is everything to me. Uh, I, I, hear, I hear people say things like, and I think they're trying to talk about just how much they love their family. I would do anything for my family. I would do anything for my kids. And Jesus, and I'm, it's great to express that sentiment. But I wanna encourage you today. Your family is not supposed to be God. I mean, even for us in this very heightened political state where sides are being chosen and there's great passions. I hear people say, I would die for my country, which by the way, many people have, and we are free because many people have done that. Would you die for Jesus? Would you die for Jesus? Because Jesus is saying everything. It, on the way out today, are you willing, are you willing to put me first? Are you willing on your way out today, as we leave today, are you willing to be tortured? Because that's what he's saying when, you, when he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Are you willing today on the way out to grab a cross? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing? Count the cost of following me. It's not always gonna be easy in a fallen world. Not everybody's gonna celebrate. Would you be willing to do that? Are you willing, are you sure, Jesus is saying, are you sure you wanna do this? to all those crowds, to all the people that are following him, are you willing to go all the way with me? And some of you might be like, okay, Johnny, I brought a visitor today and I am very unhappy right now. This is gonna turn people off. I think that if you're a visitor today, you would be very thankful for this message. Like, yeah, man, talk to me up front about all this. 
I think church folks might not be so happy about it. Because I don't know if we have offered over these past couple of decades a gospel that does not at least talk about counting the cost of discipleship and to being all in on Jesus. All in. Like he's number one. Like my whole world revolves around Jesus. Now, Coach Craycraft, my, uh, who was a Sunday school teacher at my church, who was a brilliant man, he one time told me, he said, Johnny, do you know what a, you know, what a, a, a you know, a Jesus, a religious fanatic is? And I, uh, and I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Coach. He's like, well, you know what a religious fanatic is, don't you? He's like, it's somebody that loves Jesus more than you do. That's that's true. Because so many of us are like, I really, I'm agreeing with Jesus. And so this is why, this is why today we're talking because he says then three stories. He follows up those very bold words with three stories, which is why we're in this series. Listen. Verse 28. <clears throat> For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has, has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish I mean, let's just do it in modern day terms. How many of you would, if you wanted to build a house, would, would not count the cost a little bit, but you just go ahead and build the foundation, put all the lumber into it and everything, even put it under a roof, and then realize, oh, I don't have enough money to put the drywall up, to put the siding on, to do anything like that. I have no money to do any of that. How many people would be willing to do it? Wouldn't you at least count the cost of how much the whole house costs? He says, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? It's, it's not halfway. In other words, half building the house. You sure, Jesus is saying, are you sure you want to do this? Are you all in? And are you willing to go all the way with God? You see, in our culture, I think many times we think of God as I will sprinkle, I come to church or I go to church to sprinkle a little bit of God on my life. You know, I, I, I want to sprinkle a little bit. See, the crowd was very positive about Jesus, but not committed. I mean, there was a lot of positive vibe about it but they were not committed and Jesus knew it and that's why he said they were fans, but not followers. And there's a difference between those two things. You can be a fan of God, yeah, good, yeah, I'm not gonna stand in anybody's way, yeah, I'll, sure. They were positive, but not committed. And you don't hear this typically, but 
we see kind of like we talk about church and God, and it's, we see it the same way we see everything else. So it's like, you know, it's like going up to the deli over at Kroger or Walmart. I'd like to have $3 worth of God, please. In fact, there's a little poem written about that. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal some melatonin or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough God to make me love a black man or pick beets with an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a, I, I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You see, I have a missionary friend who lives over in Fort Wayne and he goes over into Africa he goes into the 1040 window, and he told me one time, he said, you know, Johnny, when you guys do those baptisms, it does just not the same as is when I go over to Africa. Sometimes when I baptize somebody in Iraq, or if I baptize somebody in Afghanistan, do you realize that when they do that, they literally, it may cost them their life. They may lose their family. They are pushed out of their family, which means that they lose their livelihood because they are baptized. And it's not that way with us. So many times, even in America, people will say, hey, I don't want to baptize. You know, everybody will see me. That's, that's the point. It's a public declaration of something privately that you've decided. There's a cost. And Jesus says, count the cost. If you want to build, if you're going to build something, you wouldn't get halfway in it. That would be embarrassing. People will talk about that and see that. And then he goes on. And he gets even stronger in his language. That's the first story. By the way, I don't have three points to this. I'm gonna let Jesus make the point today. I don't have a point. I don't have three points. I don't have three points on an outline or anything like that. I'm just gonna let Jesus make the point. I'm gonna just pray that he will speak to us today. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. How many people, he, said, he says, when kings go out to war, how, would a king that, would, that has 10,000 people, would they count the cost because they are gonna encounter somebody who has 20,000 troops? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks, for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is a war, folks. He says, count the cost. He asks, wouldn't you 
with 10,000 and knowing you're going up against 20,000, before you get real close where the other army can see how many people you have, wouldn't you, wouldn't you make terms of peace before that? Wouldn't you do that while you're way off? Not, not when they can see each other, but while you're way off. Before it's very clear, we are in trouble and you still have leverage. Wouldn't you make terms of peace? Assess the cost, count the cost. Are you willing? Count the cost. It's a war. And then in verse 34, he says, it's kind of like some people are like, whoa, that's, that's the second story he tells. And then he uses, it says this one little phrase, salt is good. Whoa. It's like he pivoted, but no, he's still there. Listen, he says salt is really good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says salt is good. Salt is good. And if it loses its taste because of whether it's setting out and its quality and it has no salt, it had no taste anymore, if it's not good, he says, don't ruin your soil with it. And he says, not only that, he says, it's not even good enough for your manure pile. I mean, that's pretty rough language, isn't it? And he is talking about if we are not fully committed to him, what good are we? What good are we if we're not all in? What good are we if we don't see Jesus as first compared to everything else? What good are we? We're just tasteless. It's not really making a difference. And so he says, so this is good salt, all right? This is good salt. It's good for steaks and eggs and things. And it's good. And it's good and it will make a difference if I put it on food. It will, you can taste the difference. There are certain things. I don't know what else is, I have to have salt. Think about that, the things that it tastes better. It's better because this good salt. And then let's say that this salt right here is tasteless. It's gone bad. It has no taste. You can sprinkle and sprinkle all you want, but it doesn't make any difference. And I put this salt on the other salt and there's a lot of it. I just keep adding to it. And the salt that I put on it doesn't have any taste. It did not add anything to it. 
I think this is the way we are in church. We like our big piles. We have a big pile, pastors especially. I run into a pastor after Easter, he says, this is the way pastors talk. How was Easter? And the first thing out of somebody's mouth normally would be, hey, how was Easter? What's the next answer? Oh, we had about 1,600 people. He asked, how was Easter? Can you imagine like somebody coming up to me and going, hey, Johnny, how's your family? And I'd say, oh, there's about six of us. That's what we do in church. We love our piles. How big was our pile on Sunday night with our kids? How many were in our pile on Sunday morning? Jesus is most, most concerned when all of the crowds, he was trying to teach us, count the cost of following and truly being his disciple. I want us to be a people that don't lose our saltiness, that we count the cost, that we don't have other things in our life that are either equal or ahead in priority compared to God. I want us to live our life as Jesus, as the boss. God calls us to be a people who are full of salt. And yet we live our life based on the pile. Count the cost. Who would start a tower without counting the cost of how much the whole thing costs? Who would go off to war knowing they're outmanned before counting the cost of what it might cost you? Salt is great. You're called to be the salt of the earth. But if salt doesn't have flavor, it's worthless. In fact, it'll ruin your crap. Think about the boldness of what Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking about to every person here, including me, that compared to anything and anyone, Jesus is everything. Everything else makes a lousy God. Sports make a lousy God. Entertainment makes a lousy God. Knowledge makes a lousy God. Your kids make lousy gods. Your family make a lousy God compared to Jesus. Jesus was not looking for appreciative crowds, crowds, but disciples. John chapter six, verse 66. We see this encounter where after 
many of his disciples turned back and many people turned away from him and no longer walked with Jesus, Jesus said, turn to the 12 that were left. And he said this, do you wanna go away as well? Are you gonna leave as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so today, I want us to make room in our life for Jesus. So I don't know what else, what, what in your life, I know that this is a different kind for us. I have not had three points. I don't know what God may be speaking to you about. What is it that you have set up as an idol in your life? And I'd like for us to spend some time in prayer. And if it is today, I want us to pray and surrender our life to the Lord and whatever it is that's standing in the way. I want you to renounce that, repent of that, and do some business with God. And I'd really like to challenge you to do that today. I'd like for you to spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, I've been looking to other things. And I'd like for the Lord to do that work inside of you. Will you do that right now? Father, I thank you for every person here. And Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life that you give to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through faith, not by our works. But Lord, today, we know that that didn't come for free and that you're calling us to follow you first. And Lord, I pray today that you would show each one of us what it is that's in the way of putting Jesus first. I pray, Father, that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Reveal to us, Lord, what needs to be pushed out of the way to make room for you. Help us, Lord, today to be a people that put you first. Whatever it takes, Lord, In Jesus' name we're praying this.